Hi guys, and welcome or welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host Indira, and today I'm with the very talented Molly Cannon for this very inspiring episode where she discusses her journey with Red S. And an exciting announcement, Molly will be becoming the fitter, faster and happier official Red S ambassador. So make sure you're following at fitter, faster, happier on Instagram for updates with that. Be sure to check out the description below for links to further help and signposting. Okay, let's get into it. Hi Molly, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Literally just had a week out in Font and I've got two weeks left, so that's exciting. Oh, another one on a training camp. What have you been up to this morning then? So it's actually a rest day. So I'm actually in a flat with Ellen Weir. She was literally just on the podcast. I've got Abby and Zoe and we got up and made pancakes this morning, as you do on a rest day. Oh, I mean, you got to get the essentials right. What's the best topping? Okay, we had a bit of debate over this. Ellen likes yoghurt. I tried it. I had a little bit of uh, fruit compote, some yoghurt going on, and then some Nutella and banana. That was... had to chuck everything on there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. The more, the merrier. 100%. Okay, so can you maybe introduce yourself as a runner, a bit of background as to who you are as a runner? Yeah, of course. So I actually haven't been on the scene for a bit. But yeah, I have been running the 800, 1500 since I was like 12. Competed in English schools, you know, all the kind of basics. But yeah, so I haven't been running for about two years. I went to the States on a scholarship, but now I'm actually at Birmingham Uni just training with them. And yeah. Yeah. And have you got any highlights from, you know, your running years that you want to shout out to? God, okay. I think my personal favourite is still when I broke the under 13 record for 800. Like that is still my favourite moment. I went to Euros for 1500, so Euro Juniors, in 2019. And then I actually came second English schools cross country in 2020. So they're my probably my favourite achievements. Bit rogue with the cross country in there for a, for a mainly track runner. Oh my God, I have no clue where that came from. Like seriously, I hate cross country. I've always been known to like be hating on it. Uh, but that final year, I think it's because it was flat. It was in Liverpool, so I I love that. It was 4K. I don't know why they've gone up to 8K now. Not my thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, gosh. Too much talent. That's the problem. (laughs) Okay, so let's start at the beginning then. You know, you've touched on some of your highlights, but how did you get into running? So it was actually my dad. He was amazing at half marathons I think he ran like a 75 for the half and I I was there cheering him on at like age eight like oh come on and then I joined a cross-country club actually just to impress him I was like you know I could go on a few runs with my dad seems very cool and yeah I got into running that way joined my local athletics club and it was mainly for the social aspect actually like I made so many good friends I just wanted to stay and do it all the time you know yeah, yeah. Oh, no, that's so nice to hear. And what age was it that you joined up? I think it was under 11. So under 11 was when I really started trying because I, I actually wasn't allowed to compete for a bit because I was doing the 11 plus. So my mum was like, after that, you know, you can go and do all the competitions. So from there on, I think I just started loving it. Yeah. And was it kind of a gradual progression or was there kind of a key moment when you're like, right, now training serious? Honestly, I think it was first year of under 13. 
and I I've been doing 600s a lot I was actually not very good at them I was like I wasn't doing well at all but you know I was like I'm gonna try an 800 and I think after that first year of under 13 I ended it ranked like seventh or something with a 223 so I think from there on my parents were like actually something you know something special could be happening here so from then on we kind of started to up training never did a long run hated hated any kind of endurance but um yeah I, I trained with some of the older guys at my athletics club which was on a grass track as well which perfect you know so yeah Oh, grass track, good for injury prevention and, mm-hmm. you know, clearly got, got to prioritise the speed then, I guess. Speed work has literally always been my favourite. <laughs> Love a bit of lactic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, you touched on, you know, your high rankings there. So you did rank UK number one seven times over the years. I checked this on your power of 10. <laughs> you've had multiple performances where you've ranked in the top 10 on the all times list. What was it like having this level of success at such a young age? See, at the start, I loved it. It was really nice, actually. I remember going into races and people would be like, oh, what time do you run? And I'd say my time and then be like, oh, I'm under 13, by the way. And people would look at me like, wow, what? And I think because I was young, you know, it was, quite, it was quite nice. But then I feel like actually the pressure started to build kind of quickly especially once you start winning things like English schools which is like you know the big thing for younger athletes it's like oh actually she's won English schools she's won nationals she's kind of the one to beat and I think honestly that pressure's not good I thought that, pre- that pressure wasn't good for me as a young athlete actually and I, I think you hear a lot of things about oh you know like junior success doesn't translate into senior success I honestly think it's because of this pressure. Like I was like 14 and all this pressure was being put on me. Like, you know, you could maybe get like a Nike drop or whatever. And I was like, oh, you know what? Like, I want that. So it's just a lot of pressure to put on like a teenager as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's so much at such a young age. And I think especially at that age as well, you have the ability to have that almost black and white mindset where you just blindly want something and you can't contextualize it would you say that was the case for you yeah I think so also because like you're living at home your parents are making you all your meals that's the the kind of only thing that you've got going on in your life so obviously you have school as well but it's you know it's GCSEs it's kind of like you can revise like the week before I think that's what I did there's literally nothing going on so you can solely focus on this one thing which is what I find so different about being at uni as well. It's like, wow, you've got so, you've suddenly got so many things on your plate, like cooking and everything. So yeah, I think athletics was different back then. It's like, this was my one focus and I was like, gonna put my all into it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, in an interview you did with Athletics Weekly back in 2016, you did say, well, your 14 year old self said, I'm a real warrior and I'm always really nervous. I know my form's improved this year and I feel strong but my nerves sometimes get the better of me. So would you say from a competitive point of view, when did this start to affect you? Gosh, I remember I had, I think it might have been 2016 was my real year where I won English schools, I won indoor nationals, outdoor nationals. And I was kind of at the top of the age group. And I had a lot of comments, you know, like I had people saying that there can only be one person at the top, 
all of that and I think that actually really started to affect me going into 2017 especially I started saying to my mum you know I don't want to race like I really I don't want to race this race I'm nervous like I, I would I would go to school on the Monday have the race on the Saturday and just be nervous all week and it was starting to get to the point where it was literally taking over my life like you'd see like all my friends would be athletes as well so it'd be like oh can't wait to see you at the race, but actually we're going to be racing each other. So I don't know. I felt like my whole life was kind of like overbearingly just athletics. And when you only have one thing that you focus on, that powers the pressure on even more. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you think you missed out in some ways having so much of your life focused around athletics? Oh my gosh, a hundred percent. Like I never had real close school friends because They'd invite me out and I'd be like, oh, sorry, like I'm going to Watford to run like a B- a gold BM- gold standard BMC, you know. I'd never be around. After school, I'd be, sorry, like I'm training, like we had training. And then also like it was hard because at training, I couldn't train with the girls. It was like, oh, you go and train with the boys, you know. So I was kind of cut off from being, almost being friends with the girls. Had to kind of train with the boys, which is, you know, it was, it was nice. But I never really made those friend connections I think actually all I wanted was a training group like like you see in America for example I think that's why I went to America you know I just wanted like a tight-knit friend group and obviously I had my friends from athletics but they were scattered around like you know Cumbria London I'm in Exeter like I'm so far away from all that yeah absolutely I mean yeah it is so much to deal with at such a young age And just quickly looping back to, you know, you saying you didn't want to race, was that fear of failure or was it just purely the fear of being nervous for a week? What specifically was putting you off? Oh my gosh, 100% fear of failure. Because I'm a a perfectionist as well. So like, I don't know, it was just the the fear of losing was so great that I actually didn't even want to race in the first place. English schools, oh my gosh. I would literally dread it. Like I'd look forward to like seeing my friends and stuff. But the night before the race, I would just never sleep ever. Yeah, no, I completely know what you mean. I happen to live abroad during the same period as you. And I did win every national for several years. And it just mounts every time you're on that start line. And everyone's looking at you and you know that you need to do something. And there's always that doubt in your mind, like, is this going to last? Would you ever say that you lost some of the confidence in yourself or you became overly focused on the progression of your competitors yeah so actually I I was always the one in the cool room where they were like are you okay like are you are you feeling okay and I'd be like uh uh yeah yeah actually some of the people that I used to compete with are now doing big time things and honestly they are the ones that were the most chilled out. Like they actually had such a life balance and I was there with like putting all my eggs in one basket. And I think honestly, like I think that's the way that it should go, you know? I think this pressure really did affect me. And I think, you know, looking back, as the pressure mounted, as I began winning more things, you have all these comments like, oh, like Molly's obviously going to win. You know, Molly's definitely going to win. Like, she's the favourite. It'll be on the start line as well. Oh, it's Molly Cannon. Like, you don't need luck. You're just going to win. And it's like, because I remember one nationals, actually. I think I came third. But I literally, before the race, I literally choked. Like, I was in the cool room and I was like, I can't breathe. (laughs) This is horrible. 
And afterwards, my dad was like, I think you actually had a panic attack because like, wow. And I think that had been after like a long season of winning things. And, you know, I just, I think it just all got on top of me. And I actually switched to 1500 after that. I was like, no more eights. So that was the trigger, something to ease the pressure by being in a, a different ballpark. Yeah, I think with the 1500, like I'd never really done it. And I feel like it's an event where you kind of build into the last lap, you know, whereas 800, it's like from the start line, like bang, like the gun's gone and you're just sprinting. Whereas 1500, like it's quite nice. You can kind of sit back and chill, relax. So I, when I started trying that and I was like, actually, I feel no pressure. This is nice again. And I think the love for the sport came back then. Okay. Yeah, that's so interesting. I feel like often, you know, high success in sport is paired with that perfectionist personality type. And especially at that age, and when you're having that success, you desperately want to do everything to keep it going. And it's so easy to lose that enjoyment. And then it it just becomes a chore. Yeah, I I definitely feel that. But also, I had been because I'd always been told I I barely ran any miles when I did the 800. It was more like hard lactic workouts. And then someone was like, you need to, I think it might have been Lindsay Sharp actually was like, you should start putting like a a little run at the start of your day and doing like double days. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I could try that out. So I started building my mileage. And I think actually that made me better for the 1500. And because that had never been something that I'd done. Yeah. So yeah, building my mileage definitely just unintentionally just made me better at the 1500, I think. Yeah. And what sort of age was it that you did make that progression to the 15? Um, oh, gosh, I think it was actually 2019. So I was 18, 17, 18. And I think also, obviously, 800 runners have a lot of power, you know, like I was really powerful. I always did weights. I was always enjoying the the circuits. That was my favourite, favourite part. I barely, like I said, I barely did any endurance. It was just like power weights, you know. And then I got a few comments about looking too powerful. And I was like, okay, well, you know, maybe I would get faster at the 800 if I did more mileage, lost a little bit of weight, you know. We'll see, because I'd seen this everywhere. It was on Instagram, it was all around me. I was like, we'll see what happens. And at the start, it was kind of healthy. It wasn't healthy, but, you know, it was just like, I'll eat a little bit less chocolate. Like I won't go to into school and eat all the biscuits, you know, that they give out. I just won't do that. I'm being healthy. I'm being an athlete. And yeah, I think that's how it started. So it was kind of a combination of running more miles and just cutting out stuff that I thought wasn't healthy, you know? Absolutely. It's so easy to go down that road. And especially when you're getting comments and at such an impressionable age as well that's yeah it's it's one of those things that's just really unacceptable to be honest at the time who were these comments coming from it was from I actually switched to a new coach around this time and I remember doing a cross country and not not doing well at all but I never did well at cross country so I actually wasn't any different from what I've been doing and he was like you know you could win this if you lost a bit of weight because you're looking kind of chunky wow and it would always be the comments like subtle comments like chunky or you're looking your build's too strong for this you know like you're too you're a bit too heavy for the mud like all of those and I'd be like okay and I was at this time I was probably about 17 so when these comments started hitting 
it's like 16 17 and you're kind of at that age where you're like you know like I really this could be senior level success how do I how do I do this and so I was like you know I will I'll listen to him I'll listen to him and it was also comments from I think it was just general comments from people around me like even at school it was like oh so like you run I run too why why do you look like that why are your thighs so big and obviously it's because I'm running the 800 like I'm literally weight training like this is all muscle at this point but yeah it was these subtle comments yeah wow and at what point would you say that you started to really internalize them oh my gosh it was 2018 I I remember this it was the winter of 2018 and I I had started to lose weight by this point and like I started to kind of because I think when I was in 2016 when I was winning races like I I had the build of like a 12 year old you know like it's really easy to get like abs at that age like it's you're literally like always moving around playing it at like lunchtime and stuff like that so it's really easy and unintentional but I kind of would look back at these photos from that year and be like I had abs that year where are they so in the winter of 2018 I was like okay well I was winning that year so you know I'm gonna try and get those abs back and I was would just scroll through Instagram and I'd see all these people who have now actually come out and said that they had eating disorders actually I would see all these people like okay well like I get up and like I do like a hundred sit-ups and like this is what I do so I was like okay well I'm gonna start doing that (laughs) so I started doing that thinking it would you know help me and I started seeing success honestly I started seeing successful I think it was in my brain I think it was because I was telling myself I was better because I was lighter I honestly don't think it translates at all yeah absolutely I think there's so many things that you've mentioned there some being you know for example you know going through puberty as well coincides around that age and then that whole idea of body image the influences coming through from Instagram and I think something that's also really interesting is you were having success at the time but still the the lure of social media and what you're seeing around you was able to you know how do you think that was able to influence you more than the evidence of your own success? I think once these ideas get into your head it's really hard to get them out especially as a young athlete it's like you know I I didn't actually care at this I started to not care about doing well I was like I don't really care about doing well you know like I just want to be thin so like a lot of of the time I would drag myself out after like unnecessarily after long days at school I'd drag myself out and do six miles of hills or something like that but it wouldn't be to get better it would be to lose weight and it would be to earn dinner or something like that and I had to do it then like I had to go out before dinner and earn this food so it actually started to not be about running which is weird and that switch happened really quickly and I think if there are any young athletes out there listening to this you know like I think you just have to be careful because I don't think I didn't realize this this kind of switch in my brain had happened and I was like mom like I'm going training but like it wasn't really training it was just going to burn calories you know yeah that's definitely so true it all happens very slowly and I think 
the point it does come to the point where you almost start lying to people around you to fulfill the need because you're driven by the need to burn those calories and keep your body looking a certain way yeah definitely I know actually my mum started to notice it and I'm really fortunate because I had such a good support system around me of like my parents and everything so they they noticed um my mum picked up on this pretty quickly you know some people might not be as fortunate which is also why you know like on my Instagram and stuff like that like I'm open to I, I'm open to people messaging me about it because I you know obviously I was lucky but like been through this it's not a nice thing to go through so I'm happy I'm happy to speak to anyone whenever like I've spoken to people about it before but yeah I was definitely a lucky one yeah and let, let's just quickly do you want to give a shout out for your Instagram my Instagram is just Molly Cannon but I recently have set up a food Instagram just called Molly Can Eats and I actually set it up with some of my Birmingham friends who, you know, we've had we've had kind of like discussions about it. Like I know some of them in the past have actually struggled with the same thing as me. But, you know, it's so nice to actually just come together with these girls and actually quite empowering, you know, to say like we've actually gotten over this. We've gotten over this fear of food and like we're here to like stand together, make these really nice meals together. And just like it's nice to post them because you know like sometimes I need a bit of food inspo like sometimes I'll have a an off day still like it still happens you know I'll have an off day and I'll be like I don't know what to make and my friends will be like oh you know that you know that pasta dish we made like that was that was such a that was such a nice dish like it's very nutritionally balanced and it's good to have kind of all of that input with it so yeah yeah well go give that a follow and you know be sure to take Molly up on her offer if if it's something you are struggling with And I think that's really nice how you mentioned, you know, more people are coming forwards. And like you said before, a while back, you know, talking about seeing people around you, there was that very much stereotypical, you know, skinny runner. A lot of the elites at the time were, you know, very, very slender. And it's nice that now everyone's starting to open up about this. And it's kind of almost revealing what a big issue and like the the vast extent of the problem actually is. Yeah, see, I have spoken to a few girls actually from my club and like a few of them have actually said to me, you know, I was embarrassed to talk about it. I was embarrassed to say I had red ass because, you know, everyone thought that my success was down to being skinny. And, you know, like that just makes me that just makes me so annoyed because I've had it before. It's like you only got onto the GB team because, you know, you were skinny And it's like, actually, this is not the case at all. Like, maybe I was skinny, but like, you don't know the circumstances. Like, right after I ran in Boras, I couldn't run anymore because all my energy kind of ran out. That is a side effect of Red S. So like, more food equals more energy. So actually, it's completely wrong. And it just, you know, these stigmas need to be broken. And I think you know, my food account, for example, speaking about it with everyone, I, I really hope this helps. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it's vital at this point, touch on it, you did you did drop it in the red S. Red S is what we've been kind of referring to in this situation. And just, you know, to bring you up to speed, if you're someone who doesn't know about red S, well, as the International Olympic Committee defined it, it's the underlying problem of an inadequacy of energy to support the range of body functions involved in optimal health and performance. And there's a range of different factors that can manifest because of this. 
So you can have issues with the menstrual cycle, metabolic rate, bone health, immunity, protein synthesis. Cardiovascular health is also impacted. And to be honest, it's quite new. This was only coined in 2005. So the impacts are still being discovered. But yeah, in short, if you're expending more energy than you're eating, regardless of whether you're losing weight, looking healthy, not looking healthy, you are in a state of red S. So yeah. I think it's also important to add that there's a kind of, these values are kind of defined for women at the minute. So actually not much research has gone into kind of male red S, but it is a thing because it's kind of moved from the female athlete triad to red S, which is male and female. But the male red S values are kind of defined on the females. Like there's there's more research that needs to go into that. But yeah, I don't think they're too sure. But I know actually a few athletes and female athletes have started speaking out about red S, which is so amazing. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think Jake Liam Smith, he's just recently started another podcast, actually, Running With Red S. So if you're keen for a bit more Red S talk, then, you know, be sure to go check it out. Really great podcast. I definitely would recommend that one, actually. Yeah. And I think something as well that we should definitely touch on. So you mentioned, you know, at first when you did start to lose some of that weight, you did, you know, your times did drop. And that's something that I think everyone with Red S definitely does experience at some point or anyone losing weight initially there is that kind of golden period I'd say where you do just fly with with nothing but I had that I had that period but you know you need to what I didn't think about was like you know I was like you know when I'm 50 who cares if my bones are crumbling because I'd had these red ass talks I was like who cares I'll be 50 I'll deal with that when I'm 50 but actually you know this golden period only lasts I mean, it only lasted maybe just under a year for me. Yeah, that's the key. So it's really worth it. You need to set, You need to tell yourself, you know, my time's dropped, but it's not worth it because after that, I couldn't run. I was told I couldn't run. I could literally, like, I got to a point where I literally couldn't run, like, round the track. So, you know, like, is it really worth it? Yeah, that is so extreme and must have been so hard to deal with having gone from that success, being misled by the media, the people around you, the the whole sport of athletics, to be honest, and then completely crashing out like that. But let's fill the listeners in, in kind of the rest of your story. So, you know, you competed for Great Britain in 2019. You had, you raced at the 15, you had a good race. And after that, what happened? So as soon as I came back from the Euros, I opened my emails and there was an email from the GB doctors and it was like right you need to go to your GP right now because it's been detected by some of the athletes and some of the coaches on on um, the team that you have an eating disorder and it got sent to my mum as well so there was no there was no way of me hiding this I was like okay so I, I had an appointment with the GP and honestly it it went downhill from there actually because I was entered for the British champs and I remember I did a race in Trafford and I had to pull out actually I remember Luke Gunn who's part of Birmingham I spoke to him afterwards and he was like right I don't think you should be running anymore and at this point I was kidding myself I was like you know I'm running really well I'm running really well but actually it was starting to crash and burn and after speaking to one of my doctors who was amazing throughout this whole process she was like your hormones can switch off suddenly so you know this golden period 
kind of crashed down. And the reason for that was everything had switched off into kind of like survival mode. So my body was basically conserving energy. Everything shut down, everything shut down. So like I lost my period, my digestion, everything was slowed down. I couldn't run anymore. Like I think it just, you know, just taking its toll on my body, going out for these fasted runs. My body was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Sorry. Yeah. And going in a bit more depth with, you know, some of your experiences there. When you say you couldn't run anymore, was it that you just weren't producing the times you were feeling kind of sluggish? And were there any other effects of Red S other than the physical side? Gosh, actually more on the physical side slightly though, is I actually, I, I did a 1500 and like my legs couldn't move. I, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. Mentally, gosh, really big. I would start off my runs. I would, I would start off my runs and be like, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to finish this. And my heart rate went down to like 28, which is all like 28, which is awful. Wow. And I'd be asleep like, oh my gosh, like I could feel it really slowing down. It, it was really, it was such a scary time. And, you know, I think you always have that thing hanging over you because I'd already learned about Red S. It was like, oh, your bones are weak now. So I had everything kind of hanging over me. And I was like, I thought this would hit me when I was 50. And I wasn't, you know, I was, I was going to prepare myself for that later. But it was all kind of hitting me now. And I also had A-levels, you know, at the time. So I think it was all kind of crashing down upon me whereas it all at the start of the year it was all you know the best it could have been I think everything just started to crash down I think you're so spot on there with the whole situation with Red S I think it is definitely something that really creeps up slowly and you can be still managing to function quite well for a while and then it does suddenly I think performance wise I think on the mental side it does come across a bit more gradually but I think there is that kind of key moment physically where suddenly your body is just like, nope, you've crossed the line and now we are done. Yeah, and I think also, like, losing my period. At the time, like, I remember, I think my mum said to me, she was like, you know, why why wasn't this a red flag? Why didn't you care? And I was like, you know, it's quite nice not to have my period. Yeah. I didn't even think anything of it, you know. And I know a lot of girls are on the pill as well, which... I I think a lot of doctors think it's a good thing because it kind of adds estrogen to your system, but actually it's not. I don't think it's poten- I don't think it is a good thing because if you're a young athlete and you don't have a period, it's kind of normal, you know, with the pill. But is that because you're on the pill or is that because you're under fueling? You don't know. So I feel like yeah, it was kind of normal to not have a period because you know everyone around you is like yeah, you know, like. I'm on the pill, like it's it's all good. So I was like, it's normal, who cares? But actually not having your period is the biggest red flag <laughs> ever. Yeah, yeah, completely. And it really is so easy when everyone around you is just, you know, it's not a thing. It is an inconvenience to have a period. Let's be honest, like no one really enjoys that time of the month. No. <laughs> it is easy to just be like, okay, all right, whatever. And then months go by and every month that goes by, I think it gets harder to then get it back afterwards it does more damage to your body well if you think if you actually think about it like your period is so so important like you need that estrogen to like make you make new bone you know you need it you need it you need it there it's I just think you know it's just the 
it should have been the biggest red flag to me when I lost my period, which was actually quite early on in the golden period, you know, of my running. <laughs> yeah. I was enjoying that too, because I was like, I can go out and compete. I don't have to worry about having my period. Like that is just, you know, when you're in your period and you feel sluggish, like I was like, that's gone too. Like, who cares? But, you know, like I should have, I should have cared more. I should have, you know, listened to your body because your body is telling you things. And I was ignoring it all. Yeah. It, and it is just such an easy trap to just fall into, really. Yeah. So bring it a bit back to, you know, your general story or journey with Red S, I guess. I don't know if journey is the right word. But <laughs> so in t- <laughs> you mentioned they're having a positive experience with your GP. I think that's definitely something that is rare. And what did that experience look like? And where did things go from you, you know, getting in touch with your GP? What happened next? Okay, I say it's a positive experience with my GP. It wasn't my GP I had a positive experience with, actually. My GP was so bad. <laughs> I had to, I remember she she told me to eat a cheese sandwich or to eat a steak. And I was like, well, you know, that's not going to fix, that's not going to fix the issue. Well, I don't know, one cheese sandwich, of course. No. <laughs> yeah. If you hear, actually, obviously, like, people doing medicine, like, wow, like, shout out to you, amazing. But I think you don't get that much training on eating disorders. So, and also my GP was really, really old. So God, this woman was old school. And I know a lot of GPs are. It took me ages. I had to go through so many blood tests. I had to, my mum had to, you know, phone phone up the practice like so much because it was like, come on, we need to get this referral to the eating disorder service. And actually, oh my gosh, I think it's awful because I was at a weight where they were like, I was at a really low weight actually. And they were like, we can't refer you on to the eating disorder service yet. And I was like, why? And they were like, you need to lose more weight. You're kind of not ill enough to to go into this service. And I was like, okay, so fine. So I had to lose more weight to get into this eating disorder service, which, you know, what? Like, what? Did you actually? Yeah, it's so competitive to get into. So that was me trying to lose more weight to get into this service. Oh my gosh, this should not be a thing, you know? And so actually after all of this palaver, you know, I got into the service and I found an amazing doctor. She, amazing. She explained it all to me because I do human biology at uni. I find it so, I find it all so interesting. She was explaining it in kind of detail and she was like, it happens in so many sports and like ballet, weightlifting, anything that, you know, weight plays a part in. And I, she was like, I was like, how come I was running so well? Like one minute I was running for GB and the next minute I literally could not run. And my body was not letting me run. And like I said, she was like, everything switched off. Your hormones just suddenly switched off. Like you've been in this low energy availability state for so long that your body did not have the right amount of calories kind of to keep all these processes running as you want them to. And like, you know, I get that. I completely get that. My body was just abs- being like, absolutely not. I'd been making my body run 10 miles a day, fueled off of like carrots, you know, like, I think this is the biggest thing. It's like, please don't underfuel because it's like all of this will happen. And I've been through it. I wouldn't wish anyone through this. Honestly, I think so many side effects you don't think of just to get a little bit faster for like a few months. Seriously. Yeah, I think that's so key. It really is just for a few months or if you're lucky, maybe like six months or so. But 
a hundred percent it comes it comes to a crash whether you end up fully you know not being able to run or like maybe more in my instance just end up injury after injury like it's coming for you so you can't mess around with it yeah and like obviously I know there's education around Red S now like I've been to like the mini marathon camp and they'd they'd you know they'd covered it and it was like oh yeah cool we just kind of sit through this for an hour it's like great I'm with my friends we'll just kind of we're never gonna get that who who knows actually I think half the people in that room probably probably got it I I I think you know it's this thing that's made out to be really hard to get but as an athlete you don't realize how much you need to be eating like now like I'm in forest as well I'm at altitude so like my metabolism's you know faster anyway oh my gosh me and the girls in this flat have been eating so much we wake up we eat like two bowls of cereal we get we go out training go to the bakery get a massive pan of chocolate then have lunch which is like a massive baguette thing like you know we're doing double sessions and we need to fuel for them (laughs) yeah absolutely I think it really is a phenomenal amount of food actually that needs to be eaten and if you're not sure if you're eating enough just you know, one time, just try absolutely stuffing yourself full. Do a training session yeah. and see, like, do you actually train better? Because if you overeat on a couple of occasions, it's not going to do anything to you anyway. Mm-hmm. But if you find you're actually performing better, then maybe you aren't eating the right amount in the first place. Well, I just want to put it out there that there was there's some amazing girls that have come through my age group. You know, they're running big time now. And they were always the ones with the healthy attitudes. They were always the ones like oh you know let's go and have that slice of cake whereas there was me like worrying about you know I'm training I shouldn't have this slice of cake they're way better off than me now you know like they've continued to fuel their bodies their bodies are so strong because you know they've been you know all your bone mass is kind of made when you're like when you're a young adult like it's all you know for life that's your stores for life They've got amazing bone stores. They've got amazing, you know, energy reserves. They're smashing it, absolutely smashing it. So, like, if you're a young athlete or any athlete listening to this, like, by eating enough, you're literally giving your body the fuel it needs to do what you want it to do. Yeah. So, you know, don't bring, like, some carrot sticks to after training. That has no nutritional value. You know, you need to look into, you know, I have, like, a Nesquik or something. Like, it's so, it's so it's food freedom and like it's empowering to fuel your body and to fuel it so well that you're doing what you want to do yeah absolutely yeah and just in terms of you know general guidance I'm pretty sure it's you know after you've done a hard session you want to be looking at 30 to 60 grams of carbohydrates regardless of your body weight actually within 30 minutes of finishing that session followed by within an hour you want to be having a proper meal yeah definitely yeah some big time at Birmingham and one of the biggest ones is literally, I think his nickname is something, something to do with Milk, Milkman or something like that. And he's like one of the biggest athletes in Birmingham. And he just brings chocolate milk, milk after his sessions. And look, he's like doing amazing. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. And so for you, you know, once you did get onto that eating disorder, you know, you finally got finally got yourself into there. Where did things go from there? So actually, I didn't spend much time on it because I signed to an American uni. So it was kind of like, quickly, we need to give her this treatment and then make sure she's fine before she goes out to America, where this treatment will be continued, apparently. Um, Uh So yeah, yeah, I guess we'll get on to that. 
And so, yeah, it was very kind of, it was very much, you know, this is the science behind it. You should be feeling your body, like all of that. But in the, at this time, you know, I think when you're recovering from something like an eating disorder, it's really easy to trick yourself into, I'm recovered. You know, I was like, hey, like I wake up, I have this, I have a protein shake as my snack, protein shake with water or something like that. And I, I think it's very common, actually see it with a lot of people a lot of athletes around me where they're like I'm recovered but they'll still be like I need to eat like 20 grams of protein at this exact time and like I need all the all this like you know I'm actually very like now I kind of eat what I want to an extent it's like you know I think someone told me a healthy diet is like what you want to have like if I'm craving something like I'll have it like I don't need to get the protein version of it you know I and I had I stayed in that state of like I think it's called half recovery like a while kidding myself that it was all okay and during this time I actually gained a lot of like water weight because I think it was like my my body kind of starting to recover like gathering up all those kind of cells that have been working in overdrive if you want to put it scientifically and trying to flush them out and replace them but it was hard and it stayed. I I kind of elongated this process by kind of staying in half recovery. And my body was like, we're not quite sure if you're actually going to give us food or not. So I kind of, I had this water weight and I think it's exactly what I didn't want to have. But, you know, I just stayed in that. What do you mean by water weight? So like I, my face kind of like swelled up a little bit. My whole body kind of had this water weight. I think that puts a lot of people off recovery from an eating disorder so they kind of see that that kind of step but oh my gosh this step is so important like it, you, you may feel the most uncomfortable you felt for a while but it does not last long if you kind of put yourself in full recovery eat what you want which is so important especially in anorexia recovery I was eating so many flapjacks like my mum was giving like shoving me flapjacks into my face I was like yep loving it kind of took it as the opportunity to like eat whatever I wanted it was so nice and, you know, that kind of went away. I lost, you know, like my hair was in a horrible condition. Another side effect of it. I think that's such a good telltale sign as well, actually, yeah. is the small things. It's yeah. things like your hair, you know, is your hair falling out? Is it getting thinner? Well, actually, there's a problem if it is. It's like I was like kidding myself. I was like, you know, my hair's. this is probably part of like the, my period cycle. Like people are like, oh, it's part of your menstrual cycle. Like your hair falls out at that stage. And I'm like, God, my hair is so thin right now. I don't know what's happening. But yeah, I kind of went through this this full recovery. I let my body do its thing. I gained that little bit of water weight and that started to go away. And as soon as it started to go away, my skin, my hair, everything. Wow. Like it was just a transformation. Um, <laughs> and I think, yeah, that's one of the reasons, you know, like I'm feeling so healthy right now. And I think it was only then that I allowed myself to go back into running again. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely is a big step. You know, you have to make that jump. You will see some changes. And I think where you touched on the half recovery that I think a lot of people, you know, they realize what's happening. Okay, now I want to recover. But how do you make that transition from the half recovery phase to the full recovery phase? My mom definitely helped me. She was like, hey, you keep you keep picking up these like protein snacks, you know, or like I think a big thing for me actually was I'd always kid myself like okay I'll eat brunch brunch everyone has brunch like I'd go out and I'd make my breakfast at like 11 11 a.m and I'd be like oh okay well that's that's brunch I'm just having brunch today 
it was just things like that. And my mum would be like, you're not eating enough. You're cutting out, you're cutting out a whole meal there. Like it's meant to be three meals a day. And I was like, okay, it really helped. Like she would sit down with me and we'd have breakfast together. We'd have lunch together and um, dinner together. And that, oh my gosh, that was so helpful. And her picking up on these little behaviors that I thought were normal, like it was in my head, you know, because you're kind of, when you're in recovery, it takes a while for your mental state to kind of catch up with your physical state. So like I was thinking, you know, all these habits are healthy. Everyone goes out for brunch. Like I see it on all these influencers pages, like it's fine. No, don't kid yourself. Like my mum picked up on all these habits and was like, right, no. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It is all the small things and it's so easy to forget. Like I remember when I was suffering from it, I'd wake up in the morning and like my head would always be a bit lightheaded and I just thought that was normal for so long. You kind of forget these things aren't normal. Do you have any other examples of, you know, those small things? Oh my gosh. I think the biggest one was like going running and not having anything afterwards. Like I'd wait for a big meal afterwards. I wouldn't bring a snack to training. And at Birmingham, oh my gosh, that's so big on it. It's like, if you don't bring it, like I remember actually yesterday, someone didn't bring a snack to the session. They just finished their run. And my coach was like, right, get the first car back and go and get something from the bakery now. <laughs> it yeah. was anything and you know just run like seven miles like why do you need to wait for lunch you need to eat something straight away yeah absolutely and I think another thing that's something to you know touch on as well is that once you do kind of get yourself out of that recovery it is so important to keep eating and keep fueling you know even even if you see athletes around you maybe doing more but eating less you've got to listen to your body and still eat the adequate amount for you that's that's a big thing especially at university actually if you're living in a flat of people who aren't athletes that was a really big thing for me is like they would like my sister for example actually gets up at like 1 p.m has breakfast then and then doesn't have lunch and I was always like oh she does that it's fine like I, I'll you know I'll copy her that's what a normal person does you're an athlete you're training hard you need to eat like literally end of <laughs> yeah love that yeah, you literally end off like <laughs> you need to fuel yourself. Yeah, full stop, full stop, guys. Take that on board. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so going back to your journey again, once you did then get out to the States, how, you know, did things improve? Did things get worse? How did how did things change? So actually, I went out on official visits to the States. So I went to four unis and three of them rejected me. So I'd, I'd gone out and they'd been like, oh, you know, we want to meet you. Like, we, we know we want you on a full scholarship here. We want to meet you. So I was like, okay. I went out and I was really, really underweight. And instantly, first, first university, as soon as I'd left, I got an email and it was like, I'm really sorry. Like, un until you gain some weight, we can't have you on our women's team because it's such an unhealthy example. Like, we can't, we don't, we kind of don't want you and you know I think that hit me quite hard but I was like I've got three visits left so it's fine went to the second it went well went to the third and oh my gosh I wanted to go to this uni so badly um I got home and I was like mum you know this is the one for me um they'd left me on you know they'd left me on the terms that you call us up we'll give you the offer of a scholarship you call us up whenever you're ready and we'll sign you. So my mum made a cake in the colours. I had all the all the balloons up ready. 
and they were like they said they were like I'm really sorry we've spoken to the head coach and we can't have you on our team because you're too underweight so I think these rejections were just like kind of awful for me but like I obviously I got accepted by a uni that you know it's amazing so many athletes there have done amazingly but it just wasn't really the one for me I think I did not have a good relationship with the coaches there at all I think a lot of the emphasis once I got there because I, I got injured as soon as I got there <laughs> literally as soon as I got there I think also I don't think it was just them definitely wasn't just the training there it was the fact that I had just recovered from this eating disorder still had the side effects of red s still had red s didn't really understand what it was at this time coaches over there definitely don't understand what red s is they didn't know what it was at all so yeah I instantly went and got like stress fractures and I was like oh my gosh what's happening I've never I've never been injured before so I didn't know what's happening and my coach I think one of the comments that my coaches made was Molly I always see you at Starbucks I see you at Starbucks every day you need to cut that out because you're not the same athlete that we saw in the official visit wow and I was like okay yeah and he was like we'll get you in touch with the nutritionist and this nutritionist was giving me kind of she she said to me straight out she was like I'm not an eating disorder specialist at all but anyway my coach was like you need to you need to listen to everything that she says like we're giving you this help we're giving you this advice and I kind of said to him I was like I don't think this advice is healthy for me I don't think I should she was recommending that I cut weight by eating salads and stuff like that and I was like he was like we're giving you help here we're giving you help and I was like in this state of half recovery again like I'd gone into full recovery I'd done well at English schools cross country went straight back out to America and it was like half recovery again because you know I was being told like all these habits hadn't fully gone from my head anyway I just entered full recovery straight back into half recovery because I didn't understand what was going on with my body either and neither did they. I think that was the biggest thing. Neither did they. So I turn up to training in this boot that they gave me for my for my leg. And they'd be like, take it off and go and run six miles. So I'd turn up, take off this boot, go and run six miles, put the boot on and then walk around in the boot. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Wow. That sort of advice coming from people who are meant to be professionals, that must have messed you around so much. Yeah, because also in my head, like I hadn't fully, you know, I hadn't fully recovered. So I was still like, I want to be this amazing athlete. I really want to do well for this team. I really want to be a part of this team. I want to run around with these girls. My first few workouts have been amazing. I think I obviously after I said to my coach, you know, I don't think this nutritionist is actually helping me. He kind of snapped back and was like, hey, this is your resource. Like you, you take it. You take this resource. Like we're giving it to you. And I was like, okay. So I kind of listened to him. But then also I was trying to fight against my body. My body wanted to eat more. My body, I wanted to honour my hunger. I wanted to do all of that. So I was kind of in this this weird state. I was like, I'm trying to listen to you, but my body's making me, like my body wants to eat more. So I didn't really know what to do. I kind of got to a point where I said to my coach, like, I think I, I, got, I got COVID because it was the COVID year. I got COVID and my coach didn't communicate with me at all. He didn't say anything. I was locked. I was basically in my apartment for two weeks. I actually got suffered with COVID quite badly. He didn't reach out to me, didn't say anything. So it got to the point where I was like, I really don't think this is for me. I need to do what's best for me. So I kind of called up my mum and I was like, yeah, I'm going to come home. 
But, you know, some of the girls on that team were amazing. Honestly, such amazing girls. I really do miss it. I think I think going to that uni was one of the best experiences of my life in some ways. But I would definitely say it definitely wasn't the right time for me. You know, I think I should have stayed in England and reached out for that and got help, you know. I don't think the help that they advertised in America was necessarily right. And I think I, I hear a lot of people go out post-grad. I would definitely be up, you know, I think I would definitely be up for that. But as an 18-year-old, I couldn't say no. You know, like he was telling me to go out and train on this and this injury. And I was like, you know, I'll, I'll do it. You know, I'll do it. I, I didn't have anything telling me no. I mean, that is so much to deal with, you know, another country, covid the pressure, you know, authoritative people telling you stuff, you must have felt so under pressure, you know, from them being like, look, we've given you this scholarship. Yeah. And I think it's interesting as well, how you say that it was one of the best experiences you've had, because I think it really highlights how it is possible to simultaneously suffer from something like Red S or be in a state of half recovery whilst also still having, you know, there are still positives going on, you can still have a good experience, but it can be almost concealed. I think, yeah, I it was concealed, definitely. I was kind of, I, I thought, you know, it's I was being told by all my coaches because I started, as as well as the injury, I remember he entered me for a 1500 indoors and actually, I think it was a mile, but I remember him being like, right, the head coach is watching you in this one. Like, you need to do well. And I think I came last or something like that. I think I nearly came last. And they were like, you're one of our main scholarship athletes. We're expecting you to come like, first like that's what we need and I was like okay but you know it wasn't my injury I don't think it was even at this point my injury holding me back I just I would go out running and I would have no energy that's the same the low energy thing came back and I was like okay like I'd they'd make us do ridiculously long runs and I would basically fuel it off of this nutritionist's advice and it was just not working and my coach kind of came up to me again and was like right like what's happening because you're recovered from this injury like what's happening and I think he was asking me a question that I I had no idea like I didn't know what it was you know now looking back it, it's red s it, it was red s that is literally it and um coming back here I spoke to some doctors about it and they were like you do have red s you have all the signs you have all the symptoms so yeah I was kind of out here struggling on my own which you know it shouldn't be a thing you know all these people kind of promised me help and I think if anyone's in that situation now kind of in the states you know you have to kind of think about it and I think the help back here is so much better yeah and if you are thinking about going out to the states I think it's a massive thing you need to kind of Go there, experience the environment, but also don't let these coaches sell it to you don't, because, you know, they're really good salespeople. My my best friend at Birmingham actually just came back from a university in America. I'm training. She's my training partner now. She went through the same thing. She broke her femur and basically got aired by the coach when she reached out for help. So, you know, she's actually one of the people that helps me run my food account now. Yeah. Yeah. The grass is definitely not always greener on the other side. It's definitely not. I think also, like, I'm really grateful for you having me on this podcast because, like, I'd never... I'd heard all the horror stories about America. I was like, you know, it's America. I've seen it in all the movies. Like, I really want to go. But if you are kind of on that kind of... I know there's a few people that I train with now that were on the cusp of going to America. You know, I 
I would definitely recommend postgrad because you you're so much older like from 18 to 21 like you're literally a, ch a different person and so many people have said this around me like it's such a big difference so I think yeah Yeah, no, 100%. And yeah, I mean, you know, take it as a great example. You know, Molly's one of the most talented, you know, athletes that's come through British running, to be honest, in, in the past few years. And she's been through it. You know, anyone can go through it. It doesn't matter what your level is, but it can affect everyone, you know, from the top to the bottom. Yeah, definitely. So I guess if we just go more onto the kind of recovery and moving forward side of things now, what would you say were the key factors in you changing your mindset around food? You know, was there any one particular tip or trick that really helped you make that jump? I think surrounding yourself with like-minded people. A lot of my friends in Birmingham, especially when I came to Birmingham Uni, I think this this year has been the best for me because like so many of the athletes here are so healthy about food. And like, even if you are kind of, on the cusp of like being a bit unhealthy with food I know people here will help you out I got so much help from people here it's like we all kind of give each other advice like I know someone the other day had I think it was an apple after training and someone kind of gave them gave him a nudge and was like you know like you should have some milk or something with some granola bar so I think that was definitely a big step in my recovery I think also you know a big step in my recovery was realizing that I had to do it by myself. You have to do some parts of it by yourself, you know, like I think to an extent I wanted to be ill. I wanted to, I still wanted to be skinny. And I know my, my best friend here actually fully agreed with it. Like she, she wanted to be that, you know, that athlete that everyone looks up to, you know, the one with the, the abs on the front of like, I don't know, you know, she wanted, she wanted to be that person. So did I, but you know, recovery is up to you I held off running for I was told to hold off running for eight months and all exercise actually eight months and I know one of my close friends at home we've had a lot of chats because she has been told to take time off running but I think she was also doing really 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 long bikes to kind of compensate and it's like she was kind of telling herself you know I'm not running I'm healthy <laughs> And it's like, actually, you, you don't realise how, you know, those long bikes are still kind of the same effect as running. It still has the same effect. So like, I kind of realised, you know, I'm going to take eight, I have to take eight months off. I'm going to come away from this sport for a bit because it has not been the best thing for me at all. As much as I love it, it's been really toxic for everything. I came back to it. Actually, when I started at Birmingham, I said to my coach, I was like, I don't really want this to be a massive part of my life. <laughs> I was like, I love running, but like, it's always been the only thing in my life. I was like, I want to get this degree. Like I want to have friends. So when I first started uni, I didn't really make friends with, I didn't really, I wasn't really a big part of the athletics club. Like I didn't really go to all the training sessions. I didn't have structured training. And I think in December, I started training properly and I think I was ready for it like I do it for different reasons I don't do it to burn calories and I had to be 100% sure that that was the case before I actually you know put started like making it a big thing in my life again and I think that is a really hard decision you know I think that's a really tough thing to know you know am I fully recovered but you know once you're there you'll know I promise yeah you'll know when you're there you'll know and in terms of that taking time off, then I think 
that's another barrier that a lot of people face. You know, you go from doing so much, you're trying to fight, you know, some form of eating disorder or disordered eating, and you're told, right, you can't exercise. How do you then progress through that and not feel that you have to, you know, earn the food or, you know, eat less? My whole identity was athletics. My whole personality, I was known as Molly the athlete, you know, and I struggled with it so much. I was like, I can't run. Like, I don't know who I am anymore. Um, And I focused on something else. I had to focus on something else. So I know a lot of people go into like weightlifting to focus on something else. I personally was told that wasn't healthy for me because it was still like sport. So I, what I did was, you know, I I spent a lot of time with my younger brother. You know, I was helping him out. I, I went out with my friends more. If my friend asked me to go and get coffee, I'd always said no, I was training. But, you know, training wasn't in my life for a bit. So I was like, I'll have that coffee. I'll take that coffee up. I kind of cemented all my friends, you know, like I literally have all these friends now. Like I put time and effort into it. And, you know, I have these amazing friends now. I made my life not about running. And like as an to an athlete, that's the hardest thing ever because, you know, I get up, I run now, like it's it's part of my routine. It's the hardest thing at the start to take it out of your routine, but honestly, you'll realise how much you, you were missing out on, you know, like putting everything into running. Because if, if you think about it, all these people I was running with always had this life balance and like always kept up this life balance. But I'd had that massive period chunk of my life where I hadn't had any balance. So, you know, now I'm having to do it <laughs> in this eight month period you know, that's my time to do it. And I kind of, I started to accept it. And um, wow, like, I'm not just Molly the athlete now, like, I'm so much more than that. You know, you're so much more than that. You're so much more than an athlete. I think that's the most important message. You're doing a degree, like, I'm a biologist as well. Like, I'm a friend to people. Like, I'm, you know, like, I'm just not just an athlete. I think that that is the most important thing, recovery. You need to remember that. Yeah. That's so true. Even if you don't feel it at the time or at the start, like Molly said, you know, there is more to you. There is more to life. You will have been missing out on things. It's not possible to have everything in life, even if social media makes it look like it these days. So when something goes down, it's it's not a loss. It's an opportunity for other things to enter your life. Definitely. And, you know, I have so many amazing people in my life now that I'm so thankful for. So, you know, taking that time off training, actually was amazing I you know I had the best social life could go out whenever I wanted to I'd never been out before I turned 18 (laughs) I'd never I'd never been out you know like people go on about I went to this house party when I in like year 10 never went to any of them never experienced that so I had like a little partying phase that was quite fun (laughs) but now obviously like I've chosen to go back to the running it's kind of I keep it out of balance now it's not all about running yeah absolutely and that's I'm so happy to hear that. Like, it's so great to hear that you've found your way back and you're back in the sport now. And so moving forwards for you now, how are you feeling? Are you excited to kind of, you know, see where you can go again? Because I mean, that talent is still, is still there. I'm more excited now, actually, because, you know, I was running those times off under fueling and I, I'm excited to see, like, I'm properly fueling now. So training is going really well. I've got a massive endurance base now. I'm also enjoying it. 
so I wasn't I, there would be times obviously I I mentioned about that horrible pressure I, I always had over me because athletics was my only being my only like Molly the athlete you know but it's nice you know I don't have that pressure on me anymore if I go out and race I cho- it's because I choose to race I'm at university I could go out and do something else but you know I I'm ready to put everything back into it and uh you know like just have fun I think I just want to have fun with it I don't want to put all that unnecessary pressure on myself I don't want people stood beside the track like oh look look at her like Molly Cannon if people started saying that again you know like it's not just me as an athlete I'm, I am a person too you know I think that you have to remember that I think that's so true yeah you're a person every athlete's a person everyone's their own person and so would you say that there's anything from having been in a state of red s for so long that still lingers in your life or still affects you in any way yeah so I was told you know it's like even with training like sometimes training is I find it so difficult because it's not because I've been meaning to underfuel, but like for example if I've had a double day the day before and I haven't kind of eaten enough my training needs to be adjusted for the next day because otherwise my body just doesn't you know it just doesn't react well like I won't be able to finish the session and my coach at Birmingham is amazing like she's a woman she kind of gets it so you know she'll be like oh instead of doing that tempo you know go and do something a bit lighter but yeah even it's like even if I'm not meaning to you know under fuel like if I do if I walk too much the day before even like that and just don't fuel correctly which you know it happens to everyone some days you'll be busy I, you know, I just adjust the session the next day. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And for you, what's one thing, if you had to specifically pick out one thing that you would want someone going through or struggling with Red S to know, what would that be? There's always help. There's always people, there's always people around you that are suffering with it too. You just need to reach out. You need to be open about it. Like I know red ass is a very secretive thing and also eating disorders. It's like you want to keep it to yourself. But no, there's so many, you don't realise how many people around you are struggling with the same thing. And ever since I came to Birmingham, like I've had girls come up to me and be like, I've lost my period. I don't know what to do. Like maybe I'm not eating enough. Can you give me some advice, please? Like, and it's like, yeah. I'm happy to give you advice you know not just me but like all the other all the other people around me like if you if you spoke to these girls I think they would have advice too you know yeah and actually just quickly you know while we're on it in terms of getting the period back it's not such an easy one you know I've you know in my experience anyway you you can start eating more you do gain the weight but sometimes it takes a little while still to come back after that for you what would you say that process looked like and any any tips with it so I think the main thing that I was told is cortisol levels, like I was so, like your stress levels, keep them down because I was so stressed. I was kind of at the point like, oh, I, I am recovered. Like I'm eating so much, like what's happening? And I think, you know, you need to cut down those stress levels. Stop thinking, you know, where's my period? You need to just keep on eating, trust the process and it will, def- it will come back, I promise. Yeah. Okay, and in terms of changes you think that could be made to the sport, you know, there is an epidemic of red S in in endurance running for sure. What do you think change-wise could maybe help to reduce that? Like I said, I think an openness, more of an openness about it, because I think like Jake Smith has been like, he's just come out and started talking about it. Some of the guys on my team were like, wow, like what a thing to speak out about, you know? And, 
you know, there needs to be more of a community thing about it. I thought I was the only one with it. Like in America, like I said, I was like, what's happening? Like, oh my gosh, like my time, I'm I'm really slow. Like, I don't know what's happened. And I am, I feel like I'm eating enough. And I think I mentioned earlier on that my friend was kind of scared about mentioning it because it's like, there's a massive stigma, you know, like people are only going to, are going to think I'm only fast because because I had red ass and you know like you know like because I was skinny and it's not that at all I think hopefully this podcast will help I think and obviously Jake's starting to speak out about it and I'm happily speaking out about it you know I know I'm encouraged I'm trying to encourage a few people like a few of my friends have spoken out about it now people are starting to talk and I think once you start to talk it helps honestly it's not just a far-fetched thing that you know could be in the distance at 50 it's a thing that normal people suffer from around you and I think it's kind of misunderstood a bit in the kind of medical world still obviously it's making its way into sports medicine but if you go to the GP they're not going to be like oh you have red ass you know I think I think it's starting to be spoken about I think it's only a matter of time now yeah absolutely so key but yeah there's absolutely no shame especially you know as an athlete like having suffered with anything red s eating disorder related because you know it makes logical sense to fall down either of those holes to be perfectly honest you know if you prioritize performance that's something that a young mind or not so young mind can logically think okay yeah lighter is faster but just so not the case yeah definitely not you know if you're fueling yourself more you'll be faster because your body has more energy it's literally like it's science and (laughs) I think if you put it like that I think it helps more like a a more rational kind of point of view like what you know yeah yeah absolutely It's, it's all of our jobs to kind of bust that stigma you know you don't have to look a certain way you don't have to there is no you know set athlete especially with social media these days showing all those you know gym girl model bodies or whatever you know they are not runners they're not athletes no they're not I'm yeah they're not don't look at these weight loss things oh my gosh because there's so many people on on my Instagram and I've kind of managed to filter off somehow I think if you look it up it's easy to kind of like hide these things from your page like I had all these things on there and I was you don't you don't even run why am I looking at your things like I don't need to watch some weight loss account I don't need I don't need it on my thing yeah yeah everyone does different things like I go out and run six miles a day this woman goes to the gym for half an hour so you know our energy needs are completely different anyway <laughs> yeah absolutely and I think it's such an interesting topic the whole trend of body sculpting and the idea of looking sporty versus being sporty and I think they are quite different certainly in my experience if I've done certain types of training such as HIIT I find that I do look a lot leaner and a lot more muscular than when I'm doing a lot more cardio based stuff and so I think it can be easy to get confused would you would you agree? And it shouldn't be about that anyway you should just want to be good at your sport it shouldn't be about the way you look honestly don't let any coaches tell you that because they're wrong they're so wrong and like I can prove that I think my story proves that honestly because like now my endurance base is so much more you know I'm not at that low weight anymore I don't want to be at that low weight it's not healthy for me and I'm at the healthiest I've been got my period had a steady period for a while now you know um I'm as healthy as I can be so I'm happy yeah 
yeah, that's honestly just so great to hear. And yeah, it'll be so exciting to, you know, watch your journey over the next few years and see you right back up where where you are. <laughs> Thank you so much. And so as per usual, we got some quick fire wrap up questions. End on a end on a cheery note here. So first question is, what is your go to pre run and post run fueling snack? Okay, so I love Nature Valley bars. They're amazing. Honestly, quick pre-run snacks in Nature Valley. Obviously, a meal before that, like a few hours before. But like if I'm like heading out to training, I'm like, oh, I'm going to grab a quick Nature Valley, you know. That's a quick little quick release carbs, you know, a lot of sugar and those things. But like, that's good. That's good. And then post-session, I like to have like a banana plus some full fat milk for the, you know, the calcium as well. And some full fat milk with Nesquik. I went out and bought Nesquik here the other day. I love the stuff. It's so good. Is it better out in France? Uh, honestly, I feel like it is. The milk here is so good as well. Yeah. Okay. And what is your top tip for any young athlete who is currently in the starlight at a young age? Don't put too much pressure on yourself. Don't let people put too much pressure on you. And definitely maintain balance. That is the key. Like you're still young, you want to make it into senior ranks. And like I said, that level of keeping that level of balance now means that you don't need to kind of stop stop it and have that kind of period out like I did. Like I needed to catch up with that balance. Just keep it throughout so you can maintain it. Because I know a lot of the high high level athletes do. Yeah, absolutely. What's your favorite non-sporty hobby? Um, oh my gosh <laughs> see I love spending I'm always with my friends I love spending time with my friends so like we'll just go out and have like a really nice walk like that is honestly my favorite we'll go get pizza or something like that we'll go walk to a coffee shop shopping oh my gosh going to the beach like my favorite things yeah I kind of want to go traveling after uni with a few of my friends and have all that kind of nice stuff chucked in there oh yeah yeah that would be really cool Okay, favourite training session? Oh, my favourite training session. Okay, so I haven't actually done speed work as such yet, but I do love like 12 200s with a jog bag. Favourite, that was always my favourite. Hills, I love hills. I live up a massive hill, so like little short hill repeats, they're quite nice. Oh yeah, nice. Power, all about the power. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, and then last question. At your running dinner table, which three guests would you invite? Okay, so I was thinking about this one and I was like, hmm, Izzy Boffy, she's a Birmingham athlete. Oh my gosh. I sat with her before my Euro Euro final and before her, no, not for my Euro final, before hers. And oh my gosh, this girl is so relaxed. She's so relaxed. I was like, how are you this relaxed? I would love that, those kind of tips. She's also, I just, I've heard she's such a nice person. I've been on a run with her. So nice. So yeah, I'd have her at my dinner table. Ellen Weir, I, oh my gosh. <laughs> she was on the last episode, I think. She is just, oh my God, so funny. So funny, so nice. Such a down-to-earth athlete. She obsessed with yogurt. That girl has to have yogurt with everything. It's really funny. So I'd have her at my dinner table, you know, just for the kind of jokes. And then I think, honestly, my last one would be my best friend and training partner, Abby. She has to be on that table. 
I mean, we kind of, we kind of um just get, we just get on so well. We literally have the shared experiences, but all together, I feel like the three of us would actually have such a fun time. Yeah, she's just a lovely person. She runs my food account with me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, she just kind of needs to be there. She's in all my 0.5s. She has to be there. She just has to. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh, that sounds like a lovely combination. Yeah. Love Ellen. Even if it would perhaps be a, a yogurt dinner there, perhaps, who knows, but. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. She adds yogurt to everything. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much for coming on Molly. It's been amazing talking to you. You are such an inspiration. You know, you're such a strong person and yeah, thank you so much for sharing your story with the world. And if you're listening, be inspired. Thank you so much for having me. I think this was such a good opportunity to kind of like talk about it. And if anyone ever wants to kind of like message me or anything about it, ask any questions, like, you know, I'm completely down to answer them. Um, Maybe on Instagram or something like that. But, you know, yeah, I just want my kind of account to be like a safe space. You know, if anyone actually does need any help, like it would just be really nice to kind of like have a chat, you know? Yeah, absolutely. All about talking. So that's it for today. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, be sure to rate, subscribe and leave a review. This really helps to get the content out there. I'm new to this guys and I want to make this podcast the best possible for you. So go follow Fitter Faster Happier on Instagram. That's Fitter Faster Happier to leave your questions, comments and feedback and for updates and guest requests. All the best for the week ahead guys. Run happy, Live happy, be happy.